as the poem goes, in Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row. They mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard among the guns below. We are the dead short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from feeling hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders fields. We read this poem every year or so in Canada, and I'm sure other parts of the Dominion. If you're in the States, November 11th is our one um, day of remembrance for um, the soldiers of our nation uh, who fought for us for various reasons and did generally allow us to have uh, and live the life we live today, which is what we tell ourselves every year. This isn't going to be, oh, I got you, but... Once a year uh, in Canada and in the rest of the Commonwealth and in most nations, we celebrate the end of what we thought at the time was one of the worst wars that humanity had ever seen. Um, this was the First World War, which I guess in human hubris, um, they didn't know what was coming. And so after four years of war and probably over 10 million dead, they signed an armistice on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of the 18th year, the 20th century. And every day since, there are memorial ceremonies. And once a year, we have our memorial ceremonies at cenotaphs, at bases, at schools all over Canada. So today we'll be talking about that. This is why it's the most important ritual that our society has at the moment, because it reinforces one of the most important qualities of our modern society. That is the fact that we are at peace. And since the end of World War II, we have generally been at, in the entire world, a greater portion of peace for longer than it has ever been before with a few notable exceptions, um, which honestly in the theme of today can be seen as us dropping the ball on Remembrance Day. And the reason we drop the ball is that because we forget that in war people die. And it's not glorious like in the movies. It's they're gone. That's it. They become matter. And they are not coming home in the thousands. And everyone is lost for it. Our society is diminished. Those are people that can no longer come to Thanksgiving dinner with their families. They're never going to buy their children presents for Christmas. They're never going to watch um, their children graduate, get married. They're never going to offer that advice that uh, they might have. 
And even though, and that's why we do this, because these people did serve and did sacrifice everything they had to give to us, which is what we were being told all the time. I'm not going to say that's not true. But Remembrance Day isn't just about the past. And I think that's one of the things I want to get out today is that it's also about the future. Because if we forget all these sacrifices and we forget that war is one of the most horrific things we can do to each other. And if we acknowledge the fact that we're never going to completely get rid of it or get rid of the tendency towards it, then we need something to keep that flame of um, regret and horror alive in our hearts from generation to generation. Uh, we see this in every other portion of our society where, you know, oh, the new generation doesn't know how to do this. The new generation doesn't know how to do that. Oh, can you believe that the new generation can't drive a car just like our generation can? Well, they're young. Of course they can. They've got to learn it for themselves. They got to, it takes time to get information from one generation to the next. It's absolutely a miracle that from generation to generation, people can actually maintain the knowledge and skills and uh, and memory of anything that came before. You know, you get one generation, and they just run away from their parents. No, no, they go learn, they read books, but nothing really suffices for actual um, experience. So they get, they actually, you know, you can read all the books you want about driving a car, but you aren't going to be able to do it unless you actually pick up a car. And it helps if you have your dad sitting beside you in the seat going, no, don't do that. No, no, don't do that. No, get rid of that habit right now. Uh, <laughs> it helps. Now, we can't do that with war. Granted, sons and fathers had been going to war for ages and ages and ages. But, um, well, war changes over time. You know, it's easy if you have three generations in a shield wall fighting the Persians as they come over the hill and, you know, you vanquish them as a family. That's all well and good. War gets a bit more romantic, but even the ancients saw that war is something that causes horror. War is something not like it is in the epics and the stories. As pike and shot and horse got added to war, um, it still didn't change much. It was still large armies clashing against each other in isolated areas. But as industrialization took over, war became a monster that we really couldn't understand or even fathom um, from like, uh, well, from Finland to Greece, there was a fire raging for six years across Europe. Um, it's this, the scale of it is absolutely beyond thought from the English Channel to Switzerland. It was the same 20, 30 years before that. And we have no idea what the next one would look like. Maybe we wouldn't use nukes. Maybe we would. Would that be better? I don't know. It's not something we want to see. And it's definitely something we're forgetting about. Um, and what we need to pass on, I think, is the idea that all wars are dumb. 
Now, this is obvious. War is dumb. No, war is dumb. War is an idiotic thing brought about by mistakes in policy and mistakes in uh, economics, mistakes in every factor, mistakes in emotional response to situations that seem more grave than they actually are most of the time. Now, something like World War II, we can justify because it wasn't us making the idiotic decisions that started it. We're reacting to the idiocy of others. And for some reason, we learned our lesson after the war and instead opted to issue a cold war against the new enemy that showed up right after. Whether or not that was better or not, well, I guess fewer people died than if we would have started a nuclear war. So we learned our lesson, maybe, or maybe we were just broke. But it's again, it's not the sort of thing we're going to get rid of. And so we have to realize that this is part of what made humans humans back in the day. We are not an ab, we're not a species that is separate from something like war. We see war happening among chimps. You have genocidal raids on uh, ancient uh that we can see from ancient archaeological digs. This has been part of our heritage forever. Protect the group. You know, maintain social cohesion in your tribe. Now, for a Paleolithic or, you know, for a Homo erectus, this, this is almost instinctual. It happens. Well, this is what you do when you do this. It's not like they're consciously doing this, as far as we can tell. There's no field marshals directing the clubs of the, you know, of the warriors of the men to go and s steal the women and kill the boys but it is part of being a primate now luckily as we've talked about in other episodes there's things that we can go beyond because we have consciousness things that we can supersede and we do these every day i need to eat eating is more inherent than war to us i need to eat but I need to get my work done more so I can eat more later. Delayed gratification. Well, you're not going to delay the gratification of war, unfortunately. Well, you might with some video games, but um, it's not really going to do the trick. You need to... The delayed gratification is the gratification of something that won't come. You're denying something from coming rather than delaying, delaying a positive benefit. Because we can do it, we created this ritual out of it is semi-martial ritual that remembers that day now there are other rituals um there's one in belgium i believe it's belgium uh, is that there's one at the menin gate where every day they do a last post ceremony uh, and they've done it every single day since the war ended uh, during World War II, when the Nazis took uh, Belgium, they moved the ceremony to uh, England, but they still did the ceremony every single day. Someone would go out, uh, play last post, they would do a Remembrance Day ceremony, and um, and 
perform the ritual of remembrance. Now, why would we even have a ritual like this? Well, humans can be told, but we do rituals so that we're acting out the actual, yeah, the actual thing. We're not just putting it out there. If you tell someone to do something, they can do it once. Do it like this. If you show them to do it, they'll be more likely to do it properly the day after. If you get them before every workday to say a prayer to, I don't know, I will wash my hands before going on the serving floor. You know, that's something they have to say every time they come into work. It's stupid, but they'll generally be more likely to wash their hands every time. It makes it, it takes it from a conscious thing to an unconscious thing. You have this thing that maintains the thought abstractly in the real world, in a practical manner, I would say. And so we do this. And well, what exactly do we do? Well, we realize we make it a martial ceremony and it's led by those who will actually be required to go and serve in the future. So we have the military come up and they do a little thing and they do a little march and everyone calls it, uh, you know, warmongering and glorification of the military. But I would say it's the exact opposite of that. This ritual to get into our heads. That first thing it does is show you the people that will be killed first. Um, <laughs> it doesn't stop with the ones right in front of you. It'll be then the ununiformed boys, and then the ununiformed girls, and the younger ones, and then you, and then your kids. And because it doesn't stop, it swallows everything. And so it puts a face to it. And then they say some nice words. Politicians make a few speeches that don't mean anything. And because, well, as they want to do. And then we have a moment of silence. And this is reflection. What does this mean to you? This brings it back into the personal. You have that time to reminisce on what's going on on what it means to you what if it was you what if it was your children and then they wake you up with last post which is kind of poetic and they um in the ceremony usually with a laying of the wreaths in canada where people pledge um a wreath usually as in remembrance of someone who was lost in war or um just as part of the ceremony i guess um and then it ends it ends at 11 a.m well 11 30 ish probably and then you have the rest of the day now i don't call this a holiday for a reason because it's not a holiday you're not supposed to go out and be like oh yeah i've got a day off this is a day of rest well, yeah it's a day of rest but it's a day where we take out of every year as kind of a tax i would say 
on what we could be doing. That's not a really good way of saying that, but for another year, we've ingrained this idea that war is this thing that we shouldn't be doing and that peace, harmony, and uh, our society are, uh, are valuable enough to think through any decision enough to maybe not come to war if it ever comes to it. Maybe put pressure on politicians. Don't be so hasty to deploy the troops. But if you do, you better be sure. Well, is this what we're actually doing, one might ask? Like, is this actually what's happening? Or is this just a trite ceremony that doesn't do anything? But we do ceremonies all the time. Um, you know, we all have our little wake-up ceremonies that we do to remember certain things. Uh, jobs will have little ceremonies that they do. You know, everyone line up to punch in for work. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head in uh, quotidian day, but uh, you can't think of ceremonies. You mean? Yeah, I'm just having trouble thinking up, coming up with one right off the top of my head. Oh, birthdays! Oh, birthdays! Perfect. Yeah, you're a year older. Congratulations! What are you gonna do now with your life? <laughs> There's an implicit thing there that we have that uh, lets us get back into it. And so we, we do this all the time because we're actually geared towards, um, not being so explicit with our lessons. We, you know, remember not to do this and not to do this, because if you remember every single lesson as a point of data, you're not going to remember the first one. It's not how we work. So we do some abstract dance that somehow everyone understands, but no one knows the reasons or meaning to, or why we say these, why do I read this poem specifically that I've heard before somewhere? Oh yeah, that was at the last year's one. Honestly, doesn't matter. All you nearly need to take away is that war is bad <laughs> and it's so bad. But the problem, and the reason I think this is more needed than before is that a lot of the people that remember the war are dying there a lot of them are dead we don't have any more world war one veterans or if we do there's like no i don't think so either i think they're they've all passed and we can have their stories and we've recorded their stories a lot and we have a lot of footage but it's gonna slowly be forgotten you know War is going to become this abstract thing again soon. And it worries me to a bit because I don't like the idea of war. I want to have children. I want them to not experience war. I want them to experience, you know, mundane, stupid stuff like, oh, I started a business. And the worst thing I have to deal with is, you know, a lack of customers for a week. <laughs> that would be terrible for my children. And so to me, it's, again, not a nationalistic thing you know yeehaw canada let's go and fight the hun no 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 this is this is something that's uh, that's that's a lot more important than that because the further away if we get from having people who are able to tell you here's what it was like 
the more and more it's going to seem like a game again. It's more and more it's going to seem like this glorious thing. And that is a real danger. You get people not understanding what they're going to getting themselves into. You get people not understanding what war actually is. Now, it's not, oh, I could come through it. I could make it out the other side. I'll be a better person. I'll understand all this stuff. I'll have matured. It's like, yeah, you will become an adult. You'll go from, you know, a 16-year-old kid to, you know, a mature adult in one artillery barrage, I tell you that. But it's not worth it, really. And you're probably not going to be the one to come back. It's not a romantic thing. Um, now, I've never been. I've talked to a lot of people who have. Um, the one thing I've gotten from them is that they have PTSD. And they don't like to talk about it for the most part. Um, from studying history, you don't get a sense of the heroic. You get a sense of the absolute chaos that starts on a dime and doesn't abate. It's seems to be something that is the fastest, most powerful thing you've ever heard. And it doesn't stop and you want it to stop and it just doesn't. Um, and it's really harder to explain from that unless you want to go and tell us yourself, but I don't think any of you guys do. And when they bring those stories back to us, what happens is, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. Oh, I don't want to subject any of my kids. Mothers start, you know, you know, saying, no, 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 don't become a soldier. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, I don't want to, I don't want you to do that. I know what that entails. Um, I don't want to see that happen to my children or my grandchildren, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's stuck in there. It's part of the cultural consensus right now, though. It's a safe thing. I have a lot of family and friends who have served and it's not really considered a thing that, you know, oh, you're going to go to a war. Oh, that's really cool. Though. There's a really low chance of you dying, blah, 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 blah. That's not what, that's not the war they're training for. Like that's the, they're a reserve force and it's easy to be in a reserve force, but the implication is still there and they're still in the military. And this ritual that we perform really does reinforce the fact that these people, that, that, that implication that these people are there not to just, you know, stand at the border, that's border services job, or to, you know, fight internal matters. They're there as a reserve force in case the worst thing imaginable happens. And if they're not ready, well, then we've got to sacrifice more than we would have originally needed to. And I think that's probably the other thing about this whole thing is that it's probably easier to sacrifice a day of ritual and honest contemplation rather than 
you know, the real sacrifice of bad decisions and stupid actions of politicians that drive us into places that we shouldn't go. So along those lines, <clears throat> thanks for uh, elucidating some of your thoughts on the on the subject matter. Obviously, this episode of Frivolous Gravitas is going to be a little bit more gravitas than frivolous. But yes. I think it's uh, in due course. It's certainly merited by the veterans who served our countries, not just Canada, but <clears throat> all countries who uh, who participated in the, the world war to prevent atrocities from being perpetuated or worse yet promulgated throughout the world. But I think it's really important that we have a day set aside for a couple of reasons that you mentioned. I just wanted to sort of underline a couple of them mm -hmm. um, that resonated with me personally, and that's just... Uh, the discomfort and how uncomfortable it is to talk and consider death and loss and mourning. But I think Remembrance Day, to me anyway, is a lot more about trying to think about the minutia and detail in those deaths. So not just the politics and things leading up to it or the economics of it, but more specifically, the trauma endured by the dying persons, person or persons. Yeah. Um, it's not just that they went away and then didn't <clears throat> come back. It's they went away and then were brutally slaughtering each other. And while they weren't dying in the process of about to becoming dead, they were scared for their lives the entire time. And they were causing that fear on other people as well. So everybody involved in war is constantly scared. They're constantly enduring traumas over and over and over again, watching people, you know, whether it's a bunkmate or somebody they've never met before on their own side, coming back from like a stretcher or in a medic tent or my, my grandfather was a denturist. So you can only imagine, uh, I don't know. I got a thing with teeth. Like it, it just makes me cringe to think of like broken teeth or whatever, but like to have a young 20 something year old denturist just witness in flood after in flood of people's faces being blown off. Like even the ones that didn't die, that's just, it's disgusting and it's disheartening and it's just well it's even more inane than that i remember being at um monte casino where the lar that ma that major battle of the same name happened in world war ii and you see you're at the bottom of the valley and there's this uh mountain and there's with a monastery on it and the monastery's gorgeous go check it out it's sublime and then there's another mountain behind that kind of it's kind of halfway up the mountain but you can see the monastery from you know dozens of kilometers around so the monastery becomes an observation post for the germans and there's this across the the valley there's this small hill that the americans and the canadians were hiding behind and i think there was an indian division there too um uh east indian um don't quote me on that, but I'd have to check it out. And there were definitely Anzacs there. Um, but there was an American division that was performing a advance across the open area to um, essentially take fire and act as a, uh, well, when you advance in one place, you never really advance in in one place you want to advance in multiple places to have the enemy guessing which is the real advance which is the actual push and so if they choose wrong well you get 
you get to advance. Now, the problem is, is that when you're advancing like that, you, you're spending lives to do it. And so on one of the advance, the Germans had the area zeroed in and hundreds of American soldiers were just walking through this muck and the artillery came down and wiped the most of them out like, just like that. And it was for an advance. It was necessary. This is a war in which there were millions on either side. And so it wasn't isolated at all. In uh, north of uh, Oratona, there was also a hill that we saw. And there's this one of the, it was kind of one of the heaviest things or more emotional times of the things. There's worse. Uh, they got us to, um, they brought us to the Wargrave Memorial that the Italians had been keeping up amazingly. They were pristine, uh, the Canadian War Memorials. And uh, thank all the Italians for that. And at the bottom of the, it was at the bottom of a hill. And the guide says, okay, so everyone in this grave, in this uh, park, and it's uh, like the size of a football field-ish, filled with these graves, you know, row on row, as McRae said. And it points at the top of the hill. And she says, everyone in this um, cemetery died advancing to the top of this hill. And there was one machine gun nest uh, up here. And so you imagine, well, we have to take the hill. Well, how do you take the hill? You walk up the hill. And you know that there's a guy who has a clear view of you and you still have to walk up the hill. About 120 Canadian soldiers in addition to uh, some British, American, and um, a couple Soviet observers actually died there. And um, it was, you were looking up saying, would I be able to walk up that hill and just die in order to advance over one hill? And, well, they're being ordered to, you know, they have an element. No, this isn't the Red Coat Army anymore. These are free soldiers who are having to make that choice. And, yeah, you don't really have a choice. But you are not guided by fear. Um, you know, you're more afraid of your drill sergeant than you are of the enemy kind of thing like they had in earlier centuries. And so... That is something that makes it, I don't want anyone to have to make that decision. I don't want to have anyone be like, well, I guess this is it. Over the top we go. And like World War I was even dumber. Like you just think, ha ha, she'll go and I'll be the one. I'll just stab like this and then I'll shoot like this and then I'll, you know, tat, 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 like that. No, you, you poke your head up and then, and then it's over. You know, someone just clicks the remote off on your life. That's, that's all it is. There's nothing romantic about it. And that is those horrifying stories that I'm telling are real. Um, they are um, a good reason for us to remember to be careful. And these are the stories that need to be shared, I think, because it's not. It does end up kind of looking like an adventure after a while, I would say. Yeah, and along those lines too, I think it's really important to also keep in mind that um, the just the heartache that the people must have been going through to have to witness that, and then five seconds later take another step forward. You know yeah. what I mean? So the guy who pops his head off, uh, head up, and gets his head blown off, 
the guy standing right beside him had to pop his head up next. You know what I mean? So like that type of thing is just often overlooked when we think of um, like the imagery that we'll see in movies or from poetry or from from um, mm-hmm. pictures or drawings or anything like that or from stories written. It sort of discounts that minute by minute of actually having to live through it and deal with it and see it. And those types of uh, traumas, I think, are the reasons looking forward into our future more so than just the death because death happens all the time you know and i don't say that just to dismiss it but what i mean is that's not the harshest part of it it's the survival part that's actually worse because then you're enduring the long-term after effects of it but also um it it's like prolonging your death if, if they die three years into the war that's three years they spent being traumatized before dying Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that that's a really grueling and harsh way to die. Even if the final end was really quick, they suffered tremendously before that point. Even uh, aside from that, like you get like just being in a trench is uncomfortable. And that, like, you know, those days where you just can't get comfortable and you're just having a bad day. That's every day in the army when you're at war. That's every single moment. And then you get into combat. Now, the weird thing about combat is that it puts you into this weird state as far as um i guess psychologists can tell um but every you don't really get a war story where the guy's like oh and then i did this and then we did this and this and this only you get that really only from like the hardened veterans who know how to handle it but most people that get into it for the first time especially when you listen to um like the, i guess what they call it now is oral histories but first-hand accounts of Oral history is just a recorded first-hand account. I'm going to make a lot of enemies with that for some reason. But the um, these testimonies say that, you know, I don't really remember what happened. It just kind of was happening around me, to me, by me. Like, it was just happening. I wasn't really there. It was just, and, and one of the things that happens after is that the adrenaline rush kicks off. And, you know, your your, your entire body just kind of goes you know you start crying you just you're 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 completely emotionally physically chemically drained and one of the things happens is that you don't actually remember what you did and why it's just kind of some stuff that happened i remember hearing one he was i think it was a story from the fillets gap battle in normandy south of normandy in world war ii and in this battle, this soldier was saying, well, and I was running this way and I remember, you know, running this other way. And then there was a tank and I somehow didn't die. And then I ran over here and then I shot a guy, I think. And then I was over here and then the battle was over. And it's just, it was a jumble of nonsense. You, most times it's really hard to um, gather what actually happened because it's just so chaotic and person in it can't possibly fathom what things are happening. Meanwhile, like, because we have the urge to, remain alive being such a core of our being anything related to death or other people's death creates a response in us of get out go away get don't be here don't do this and they've been fighting with this probably since you know the war started it's like oh this could be it and now it's like well this could be it and the body's just like get out get out get out and it'll do the body will do whatever it can possibly can to get the body out of there whereas your brain's like no this needs to happen 
And there's probably sometimes really good reasons for it to happen. You know, if the Russians are at your doorstep and, or the Germans are at your doorstep, poor Poland. Uh, if you're a Jewish family in Warsaw, like you have a really darn good reason to fight. <laughs> like, but your body. But even still then, didn't... nobody could have imagined the war, oh, the camps. No. You know what I mean? Like no, Auschwitz wasn't even fathomable before it actually was erected and built and set up, and they started using it. If, if just the whole idea, like now that we look at it in hindsight, we think like, yes, this happened and it was awful, but yeah. like it was unprecedented before, and that type of um, fear is a is a type of suffering that's no lesser or more so than any other yeah. but it is it is deeply um profound like mm -hmm. it is i don't know another way of wording that like whether you survive or diet just the experience of that suffering is profoundly um painful in mm -hmm. in my art eyes anyway but i think that sort of leans into also like the mental load of um the officers that also had to send you know, two people to two different groups of um, fighters to advance. Yeah. They're basically they're choosing people who they know are decent, hardworking individuals. They probably know a lot of them personally, and they're sending them off to die for a cause that everybody agrees to and consents to more or less. But that doesn't really change yeah. the fact that that officer had to pick and choose not who lives and dies, but who who moves on one offensive versus the other. And then that outcome is whatever it is because it's war, right? Same with oh, like paratroopers who yeah. wind up getting lost in, you know, when they miss their, their target zones or um, pilots who, who never come back. You know what I mean? It's, it's all different types from the seamen who get, um, whose ships go under and, and you know, how many subs were their crews that drown? Like, I'm Just claustrophobic. A sub is like even thinking about it is horrific. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think what a lot of people miss in Remembrance Day, and this includes myself for the longest time, is just a lot of what we're taught and educated and focus on is just the death. But I think Remembrance Day is also um, it's giving of yourself some time and consideration and some of your mind to value the the sacrifices that were made by even the survivors and by the people who survived before dying because that is equally mm -hmm. horrendous in my opinion well uh, doing, obviously having never been to war well, we're but. doing better now as a society and remembrance day has that added effect of being like hey remember those guys we sent into battle yeah they're still here <laughs> we still and they're still dealing with shit and they still need our compassion and they still need our they just want our money so they can well that's part of compassion you know we did send them as a group with our taxpayer money to do some gosh darn distasteful stuff and now they come back and we're like um yeah the thing you made me do i can't do a job now because of it and so we have to be like well, we can't just give them money for the rest of our life well what do we do well what if we gave them psychology for the rest of their life that would probably be really good and what if we gave them a break on certain things? Yeah, and, so and I think that's what makes the day really important specifically too, is not just to have memorized the history and to drill it into kids, which we should do because that is important to know it. 
but I think the day is really important because like you said, we have too many lessons to learn to mm. keep them all in our in the front frame of our mind at all times. Yeah. Uh, I, having a day set aside for it where it's not uh, every day, so it never becomes routine, but it becomes tradition mm. because you do it every year at least once. This is not to say that you should only do it once, but you should make sure that you only do it. You do it at least once every year. And that day, I think, is so important um, to help people because we know our own human fallibility, that we are forgetful in nature. And that's, again, part of our biology. It's part of our evolution. It's part of what helps us in our day to day, the way we get over trauma and, you know, some people develop PTSD and what that is is a deficit in being able to forget things. If you're able to forget it, eventually you'll get over it. But PTSD is a condition that's sort of defined by not being able to get past or over something because it's just constantly being reinforced by your brain every day. Mm -hmm. um, um, so having the day, I think, it. prevents... Oh, yeah. We are getting better at it. But like, just because those like, oh, we can fix PTSD. Well, that doesn't mean we should let make people get it either like if we i don't think we do fix ptsd no, though you can treat it you don't really fix it though yeah it doesn't change the fact that you still had to deal with that village like that and it's well, but things like nightmares and flashbacks and attention deficit and alcoholism and you know there's so many offshoots um just violence in the home well, and that's a life that would have been probably like if, if you have a man that has alcoholism, like you said, like that's a man that wouldn't probably have that alcoholism if we had not sent them to war. Yeah. But the thing is, is that the war might have been very, like the wars recently haven't been. We've been made uh, a bunch of missteps because, well, one of the, I don't want to place it fairly on this, but I'm pretty sure that if we had been closer to World War II when 9-11 happened, if it would have been 9-11 you know, 1961, we would have been a little more hesitant to invade Afghanistan. And at least I'd like to think that. Now, we also do forget that in, well, what about the Cold War? Well, the Cold War wasn't as big as it could have been. Um, and well, it almost evolved like three times into nuclear war. Yeah. It, it's just the guy at the end of the trigger, remembered uh, the end of the button or whatever. It, decided to uh what do you call that when you disobey orders yeah that, that russian sub discord. guy did that he um yeah disobey orders and uh but it's happened in the states a bunch of times too at least three or four times just in my lifetime where they've lost nuclear weapons whether in transit or whether it was from um like inventory record keeping errors mm -hmm. or i think one was even stolen yeah Nero event but with so even the Cold War almost became worse than the Second World War. Mm -hmm. It was that close. And to, to sort of shrug it off and dismiss it because the stats don't show it. As no, a, I'm not well, saying it's just really we... I think the fact that it didn't get worse than it did is kind of a testament to... But like it takes constant... The thing is, is that this, this, this drive to deal with the bad guys, you know, not like the bad guys, well, they communists were definitely not the good guys um you know if you have gulags it's usually a sign that you're the baddies but um that doesn't mean we uh should be going in and killing them all that's like if they're at your shores this is kind of my kind of rule of thumb where which is like 
when should you get involved? Well, if they're shooting your people, you know, that's kind of like, don't start a fight, but always finish it sort of thing. Or if the people are begging for help, that's another situation too. Like the Jewish people begging for help when they couldn't help themselves after they'd already been rounded up and, you know, herded into concentration yeah. camps. It's a bit late to tell them to like arm themselves and train themselves and form. Well, they did form militias on their own. And I don't think the, I don't think the West really believed what was going on with the Jewish people. It's my understanding that they didn't want to get involved until after they knew the horrors of the atrocities like years yeah. and years later. Well, the leaders had an inkling of what was going on. Um, like you'll see, you'll see shock uh, news articles every once in a while being like, Churchill knew about the camps. It's like, well, Churchill knew. But he, well, Churchill didn't know. He suspected because, you know, really the, the communist information that not the communist the um national socialist party of germany they were keeping very tight control on it so the west had an inkling the general populace had no idea they knew they hated jews everyone knew they hated jews but most of the jews were being deported um before um before any of this was happening most of them were leaving just being like you know nuts to this i'm going to america or i'm going to britain or something but even uh, a lot of the german soldiers weren't aware of what the camps were actually no. doing they knew the camps were set up but they couldn't in their wildest dreams have thought of a whole bunch of people like thousands and thousands of people starving mm -hmm. um they might have seen them pushed onto the trains and hosed down and they might have thought that that was the worst of it maybe well, and then you get them but, and then they're telling people like well this is for their safety and then the germans are like oh that's nice well yeah. this is they're safer this way when they're <clears throat> not around us because you know now we can have our place and they'll have their place somewhere else and out of my mind so i don't have to think about them but like they most of the population didn't know but then when they were discovered by the red army and the allies that's a bit of a freudian slip sorry um is that they everyone the west learned and it made the papers instantly but this is you know war is this thing that uh, i kind of the holocaust itself is a reason a valid reason i think to do that and i think um well that's why we were so frustrated with rwanda uh because it's just like well people are genociding each other and we're not doing anything and but that's why i say we run the risk of forgetting again because mm -hmm. as much as we'd like to think that we're doing better now i don't think we really are it's just that the same degree and scope of atrocity hasn't occurred again but i mean we no, not only it's... ignored rwanda but they ignored um rohingya in myanmar um chinese concentration mm -hmm. camps exist today and yeah. we're still trading with China. Like, there's no the sanctions whatsoever, is... but they'll sanction other countries like uh, Iran yeah. over oil. And, you know, after having given them reason to dislike America. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, the way we pick and choose who we sanction and who, who we decide to do business with, uh, the easiest way to prevent somebody from, or from a government from harming its people is to stop doing business with them, not with the people, but with the government. Right. And we're doing the opposite. We're, we're enabling their international financial markets and we're disabling the population's ability to protect itself. Well, and here's the weird thing is that if you say we have China with the, 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 the 
obvious concentration camps. You can't convince me that those aren't concentration camps. The re-education facilities, the work camps, um, BBC documented them a couple of years ago very well and uh, showed that they were that they even showed through satellite imagery that the, even the BBC guys were being shown a flowered up version of it um, because, you know, before they got in, they painted a bunch of like happy tennis courts and stuff on the pavement to make it seem like they were actually allowed to play games. And is that going worth going to war over and how to what extent? Well, okay, let's try economic sanctions. That's a little more humane. Maybe they'll not do that whole um, genocide thing. Maybe they'll stop printing papers about, um, you know, eugenics uh, over there and stuff like that. Maybe but if people actually paid attention to the horrors of war and they actually appreciated and valued and grasped this, the severity of war itself, mm. you would explore all diplomatic avenues possible before going to war so it's not a, i'm not really saying it's a question whether or not we should go to war over concentration camps mm. period what i'm saying is that we're not even trying and it, we're acting as if we remember everything and that we, we solemnly you know swear and pray to our, our vets that have fallen but there, there's no help for therapy services uh the v, veterans administration in the states is still not providing like even basic health care to most of most of the people, especially in rural areas, I mean, the mm. urban areas have better facilities. But I mean, this is why I think to me, the day is more even more important today than it has been in the past is because today, we have all the access to information, knowledge and history at our disposal, whereas before they didn't, they were just winging it by the seat of their pants, hoping they did the right thing and and doing the best they could but now we know what's best right and we're not even actively pursuing the best well or like intentional point one of the problems with world war one was that they had no idea what was going on they were still thinking in the crimean war terms you know in uh they didn't wear communication wasn't a cable it was a messenger uh it was a letter and the war moved so fast that none of the generals on any of the sides could keep up with the fact that they had mobilized an entire continent in 30 days, which was insane. And at the Battle of Mons, um, they had no idea what was coming up. Uh, what do you call them? You have a line of um, British machine guns just sitting there and the germans not knowing what the heck's going on because they hadn't had a war in forever uh they just literally march a division up or a battalion up to the battlefield like in lines in rows and the british are like uh what do we do well i guess they're the enemy so ta -ta 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 -ta. and they mowed down an entire battalion just right there because they had no idea what was going on they had no idea what war entailed now now like you say we have a better idea of what happens. We can have reporters go into, you know, actual war zones now and see why are you guys doing this? Well, you know, they're the they're the bad guys and you know the military into and we're the freedom fighters who who are fighting. It's like, okay, so you're both evil and you're both fighting, so we need to not do that. <laughs> so now we and but we also have ways of getting better information. Nobody knew what the Germans were thinking back then. 
nobody knew what technology the other side had, even though, well, everyone, even though they could see it and try and copy it. And they didn't really know what the other side was going to be doing until it happened. Tanks were a surprise. Gas was a surprise. Nowadays, we have all this intelligence to tell us what's actually going on. So we can actually talk about these things. You know, why are you claiming the South China Sea? Like, does anybody really want to go to war with China that is in their right mind? No. Does anybody want to be that? Does anybody be like, you know, I hope they invade Taiwan so that we can get this thing over with right now. It's like, no, 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 no. There's tons of other things that we could be doing. And I do think they cause that, that mentality in their marketing campaigns, recruiting people for the Navy SEALs and for the Marines and for the Army. Like, they, look how fun it is. You can drive big boats and you can see the world and you can fire guns and you can blow th things up. Like you get a good paycheck, you can get a pension. They show you, <clears throat> they show mm -hmm. everybody all these benefits in advertising campaigns, trying to recruit kids um, to be lifelong officers. And to me, if people actually grasped and appreciated the horror, horror and destruction of war, the, the commercials would look completely different. It would be what? help us prevent another war by joining the Navy. No. So help us prevent another war by joining the Marines. What did, one of the best ad campaigns was the Canadian one uh, a while ago where it's literally just like tanks, planes, helicopters. This is all the things you could be doing. And all they say is strong, proud, which plays on. It's like we're strong. We're proud of what we can do. We're here for a reason. Join the responsibility corps or something, essentially. You know, you are here to defend the country, but not only to defend the country, because the Canadian Army also pushes in their, uh, in their ad campaigns like search and rescue, uh, Arctic sovereignty, firefighting, firefighting, all that stuff, like yeah. flood fighting. And so, like, you are here to serve. We are, and then you are serving and you will be strong and you will be proud. And, like, for a kid who's 18, it's just like, mm, like that hits you right here. You don't know what to do with your life. And this thing's telling you to be strong and proud. It's like, yeah, that. Now, when it's that or McDonald's, it's easy yeah. to see that somebody would want their time and energy to be put to better use. And there is a great education to be had in the army. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I, I guess I'm not going to say like specific, like I personally don't agree with the Canadian marketing camp but very no, no, marginal. that's an old one that's an older one what right? i'm saying is my disagreement with the canadian version is very very different from my disagreement yeah. with the american version one of them sensationalizing the actual act of war and combat and the other is it's you have to recruit somehow and for people to be aware you have to have a commercial if you're going to pay to have a commercial you might as well have a decent one that actually accomplishes its goal <laughs> so like i get there, it you gotta advertise the marine corps where it's just like the guy like fights a dragon he slays a dragon and then you know he like turns around and the swords a marine corps sword and he just goes and all of a sudden he's in his dress blues doing drill and shit like that and you know that got people and then there's the ones where it's like you can save civilians and that got people like they're they're targeting they're not just targeting one type of person but the thing is is that we do need a military controversial opinion number 734 uh, <laughs> but we do need an army and in our society and this actually leads into my next point after this too in our society the army is 
not the ideal place to work. So you have to kind of be like, there could be a war. Do you want to be one of those people who are defending the nation? Blah, 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 blah. And so, yeah, war is dumb and you have to convince them that war is somehow romantic. And then the moment they hit boot camp, that romance dies. Uh, so, well, there's that. And because, you know, he's just like, oh, I'm going to serve my country. And you see all these cornflakes going, um, okay, yeah, I do know a lot of military people. Sorry, I'll stop using military <laughs> memes. Uh, you see these privates and stuff go in and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this and do that. And they're wearing their kit in public and, you know, you have to tell them not to. And they, they're they really proud of the fact that they do and they should be. Because it's very dangerous and almost for some reason, well, because of reasons I got into before, a necessary thing. Now, the fact that it's small is a testament to our country and to our society uh, that we have trouble recruiting soldiers in in our society. Like, there's a huge problem, and it's actually being a detriment to uh, the readiness of our military. Um, it's almost too good, uh, but there are still, you know, things that we need to maintain in order to have that kernel of military readiness because what you want is the core that if we do hit war what will happen is is that that what we have as a military now will form the leadership core and then they'll be able to you know and train everyone else they'll have the skills that they can pass on and all that if we lose that readiness should be the means to the end like it should be a deterrent so that you never have to use it you have a qualified and competent army and military establishment kissinger said well you know they're diplomatic pawns yes kissinger but you're being a jerk um (laughs) because these are still people well it's just like well they're just dogs that we use in diplomat yes you have an army and you bring that to the diplomat table and everyone puts their army down on the table saying all right we all have our armies yeah switzerland oh no you're good um (laughs) and actually switzerland has an amazing yeah they got the vatican army (laughs) yeah well the vatican has a swiss army too they're so good (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah And uh, everyone brings their armies to the table, and now they all have their armies. Everyone looks okay. Yeah, we can all kill each other. Yep, yep, yep. You show your army, so we, we you know, it, you can do harm to us. Okay, good. Now we all can do army. Let's talk about wood trade. <laughs> and so everyone can, like, everyone can see that everyone can hurt each other. Good. Now you can delete that. It's like a, it's like a math equation. You know, everyone, everyone's army cancels each other out at the diplomat table, but. If two countries are side by side and one doesn't have an army and they don't have any trade agreements, one side's going to be like, well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to attack me with what? Nothing? Okay, bye. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's what I think. Remember and say it's really important to reprioritize diplomacy yes. because that's the thing that well, falls to the wayside when we forget. Right. And if some, well, and the thing is, is that we can guarantee with Remembrance Day and all this stuff that we can be dipl- diplomatic. We can do this, but there is no guarantee that the guy on the other side of the table of the diplomacy table is going to have that same mentality. He'll be, have the war drums in our head. We'll be like, Oh man, we're going to get a good trade deal going. This is great. We'll stop this enmity between our peoples. And the other guy will come to the table being like, wartime, let's go. And it's like, Canada's no threat. We can take their Arctic sovereignty whenever the Baffin Islands, like kick all those indigenous people out. And all that oil will be ours. So, okay, um, you know, we could trade for that oil and it'll be better. And this, I guess, 
brings me to that other point is that war is extremely wasteful. And this is kind of one of my biggest points is that diplomacy and like you said, can't be understated enough, but I've been wanting to get to this point for a while is that if someone comes to the table with war drums in their heads, we can do our best to try the dip diplomatic action. When they said, well, you know, even during this meeting, we've got a destroyer group heading towards, you know, to take over your, uh, your oil rigs in the Arctic Sea, blah, 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 blah. Good luck with that. This is literally just a meeting telling us that we're at war now. Bye. And so this is not actually the best way for that government to get our oil at all. You spend how much money firing a cannon at somebody? Now, I, like I say often, I, I, uh, I uh, enjoy going to the range and shooting firearms, but every bullet is, you know, a dime or a quarter or something. That's that's not that's not exactly uh, expensive, but it's not exactly cheap. It's cheaper than smoking, uh, which is strange, but it's when you put it on the level of a cannon you know you have a couple thousand dollars around or a 50 caliber belt which is ten dollars around uh and then you fire an entire belt which is 200 rounds that's uh you know two grand you know and then you fire an entire uh if you have a battery an anti-aircraft battery of uh 50 caliber machine guns uh, all firing at an airplane coming up or a missile that's you need to expend ten thousand dollars to shoot down a missile that is a hundred thousand dollars war economy is not is not favorable to any sort of sustainability which is why you want you know to blitzkrieg your way through the war you want to make it fast because it's going to be expensive which is why we one of the reasons we failed in iraq and afghanistan we did it fast, but then we had no idea what to do when we were there. And then we did everything wrong. And fast also causes more collateral damage, which causes more resistance, which causes a prolonged war. Yeah. And war is wasteful. War is a bludgeon. I think that's another point we need to get. War is not a scalpel. Anybody who tells you we're going to get in there and we're going to have, we're going to take it over. Now, the only thing you could do with a scalpel is maybe a missile. If you've got some of the paint, the target painted and you carefully place it, but an explosion is still a bludgeon. Now you get like SEAL teams and special forces and they are very uh, precise and scalpel-like, but they are also small. You can't win an army. You can't win a country with like one SEAL team. And I hear a bunch of SEALs in the background. But anytime you, <laughs> you murder a single person for political means, you're going to round up a whole bunch of people behind them to fight back yeah rallying defensiveness from the people on the other side so even if you do pull a scalpel the bleeding that comes from it afterwards can kill you yeah you and I mean? well machiavelli said in one of in the prince that the only way to control a country is to murder everyone in it and so you can't like if you take over a country well you're gonna you know you're gonna have a bad time and so you have to realize that like if you if someone is decided to war you, then yeah, you war them. But what if you traded for that oil? What if you said, yo, 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 Russia, stop it. we got some good stuff in our country. You want our oil, right? Now, 
the Arctic isn't that hard to 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 get across. So what if we just traded? Archangel will be a great port to move goods from Canada into. Let's do it. And we can both benefit. We're not at a place with any country in the world, you know, as Canada, where we don't have to have a zero-sum competition with them. Not a single country in the world is in a place where we have to put them in their place in order to have uh, be who we are. And that, I think that's the crux of it. It's like, at what point do we have to defend what we are against someone who's trying to, uh, I don't know, make that not happen, make that not exist. Now, at the same time, will war change who we are? Well, yes, war always changes who you are. Look at the Civil War. Look at the World War One and Two changed Canada. Strangely for the better. Um, and we have to, and uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, well, the Afghanistan War changed Canada for the worse. But we can get over it. Because if we don't think we can get over it, then, well, then we're, uh, there's no point to Remembrance Day in the first place. But back to that other point is that trade is much more useful. It's much more valuable and it changes your enemies better and it makes you better because you think, oh, I could beat him and take his stuff. It's like, yeah, but I don't need my 80,000 widgets. I want what he has. Maybe he wants some widgets or maybe someone by something he wants, wants my widgets and I can, we can do a whole thing. And this is a lot better. And now everyone gets to go home and make more things. Their hands get to be useful. This is the economics argument of war. And then we end up changing each other for the better. Anybody who trades with someone doesn't just get their goods. If you see what happened post World War II with Japan, like how much Japanese culture do we have in our society that has become part of our culture? Like it's subtle, but it's there. There's a lot of Japanese stuff in Canadian and American culture. So much. Everyone's just like picked. It's like, okay, if we're going to trade with these guys, well, I want this too. And I want this. Oh, this is neat. And you know, the Germans gave us a bunch of stuff. The British gave us a bunch of stuff because people will come over here and will take the stuff, not through war, but through like, oh, that's a neat thing. And we'll, cultures will blend and we'll get a better culture from merely just not fighting with each other and learning from each other. Because if you kill them, you don't learn anything from them. Like the first Burgundians, what did they offer? Nothing, because the Romans killed them all. Like to a person, they surrounded their territory and just kind of went in. And they had nothing to contribute to human society after that, which is a shame. Although they, anyway. So... This, I'm not sure an, an economic argument needs to be made, though, for for the need to remember um, well, the horrors of war. No, it doesn't. But it's because we're the, the, we're making an emotional uh, um, ceremony where you're we're trying to have this unconscious reaction. We're trying to instill this this uh, this thing into people. Um, implicitly so that we don't have to say it explicitly and then um, but I, I think the economic side to the remembrance portion though might be um, 
more to do with like family and quality of life enjoyment and things like that yeah well would you rather as work? opposed to trade yeah well trade i'm saying trade is alternative but at the same time but we can all live without people other people's stuff i yeah, mean well, some countries need energy places mm -hmm. like ukraine doesn't have a natural um energy supply right so having russia cut off their oil in the winter means that russia can invade crimea mm -hmm. um that type of political uh action like that type of plan i think comes about when leadership decides that they want to exploit another group of people mm -hmm. the exploitation thing is the part that causes war mm -hmm. so what i think you're getting at is to say that if we engage in synergistic uses of our energies and planning yeah we are all way way better off than even if you succeed at the quickest shortest cheapest war it's still more costly than just um, dealing with people individually through want and through economic terms as opposed to force right and Did i, I think, catch you right yeah because on top of that i don't like our kids go to war for stupid reasons and so our sons go to war because they're stronger more belligerent they're jerks uh which is why the kind of person we want on a front line holding a rifle we don't want nice people up there um but the nice people stay at home and they're not untouched from it they're now having to put off their uh i want to be a clinical psychologist so i can help people with ptsd well we need those but now because you're at war you're working in a bullet factory you're working in a tank factory you're building drones you're building uh you know ships planes ammunition kit all these things you're filing paper you're writing you're writing uh you know letters to families who've lost their kids nobody wants to be doing any of this stuff they want to be doing what they can in society and war puts every one of those people's dreams on hold uh for the group's um needs the existential needs and if it's not an existential need well then it's a bad war and it's that simple and this is why it's wasteful and your point brings up another point that i've completely forgotten <laughs> what was your uh you you said you you your last the i was last... talking about quality of life yes so so things like when your country's at war, your nutrition suffers, mm -hmm. your, your child rearing suffers, your education suffers, your healthcare might actually get a little bit better because you got people more practiced at, you know, field surgery and stuff. Yeah. But that's not a good reason. <laughs> we, we can practice on people who get sick naturally and just, you know, figure yeah. it out. And we did like any of these like side benefits. Like I have a book here called The Worth of War, which is, it's a worthy thought process but any i think that's a lie because everyone talks about how we get these benefits from war well you can't deny the benefits that world war ii gave us in technology technological you know uh ascendancy blah, blah 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 it's like yes i can most of those technologies were already in the pipeline in the 30s in the 30s which i'd like to remind everybody we weren't at war and, and with all likelihood, if we didn't have so many wars in our past, we probably would have discovered all of it sooner. 
Yeah, we could it's have the had... destruction of intelligence and ta and talent and b book burning and library bombings and you know all that type of stuff like very very se uh, severely delays progress because you don't have people with free time to sit there and think for their whole lives. Well, they're being forced to sit down and think. Well, no, because being forced to sit down and invent is your job, <laughs> and mm -hmm. people will do it not because there's this existential collectivist threat. Well, there might be. That's still a possibility. You know, we could have aliens. It'd be nice to have a military if they show up. And, you know, I don't know if that would even be useful. You know, bad aliens. Um, I'm sure Carl Sagan's yelling at me right now. Um, but at the same time, we had a lot, like the 50s, 60s, and 70s were probably some of the most scientifically, technologically progressive uh, times of our of human history. Well, why? Well, because the Americans weren't at war and they were spending a ton of money on new things, on new ideas. You know, you have um, like how much stuff came out of Stanford, how much stuff came out of uh, some of the Canadian universities, how much stuff came out of uh, all of these minds just being put together, not for the sake of war. We get transistors. Well, and well, no, but those were, but the computer was developed to decode German signals. And one thing that Ted Nelson, the inventor of hypertext, brings up is that it would have been something. It just happened to be artillery vectors and, um, and, and German code breaking. It could have been marquee texts on billboards. It but again, that's stuff we've been doing for centuries. Like, right. Hash scripting has been done like the Caesar cipher is one of the earliest popular mentions of encryption. But like we've been encrypting messages since the beginning of time, since we started writing, because it's just like a fun puzzle for our brains. And just like with transistors, Boolean logic was invented or discovered or realized, or at least it was first published scientifically in like the 1800s, I believe. Yeah, it was Ada Lovelace and Babbage. Uh, although because of the culture war, Babbage is getting thrown to the dirt and Ada Lovelace is being hailed as, well, she was actually the one with the idea. But, but one of the, the biggest one... parts of like the Renaissance was and that ability for people to not... Were before transistors. Sorry, go on. One of the biggest parts of the Renaissance that brought the rebirth, the, the Enlightenment period, was the fact that people had time to sit at home, get an education, raise their kids properly, and do productive labor. Yeah, and the so, more people that could sit around the more ideas we got and the more productive we got strange that how that works it's almost as if we feed people properly yeah with cool ideas. and again <laughs> it should go without saying but there are a lot of people using the idea that war sponsored things like um like nasa and and computer technology and encryption software and all these things that wouldn't they say wouldn't have been discovered or like atomic energy if were it not for the now, for, for war and conflict, and that's just, it's patently false. I could make the argument that NASA was a war, but it was a more civilized war. It's like, who can get into space first more effectively? Competition sounds, is different from yeah. conflict, right? Yeah, like, I mean, you can have healthy competition between countries without it escalating to murder, you know, and, and like destruction of property. The biggest thing is destruction of property, because if you think about the cost of rebuilding, the investment costs, you're not only taking money out to build something new, you've got to demolish what was there, get rid of all the refuse, 
and then bring in more stuff with fewer people to do it and with free, fewer resources to do it. So it's like it compounds the cost of everything when you have a war yeah. that's destroying property well, because Americans... you can't rely on old property to help you build new property. You have to build it from the ground up while also taking that ground and leveling it first. You're adding a whole layer of complexity to a job that should have been additive rather than um, supplementary. Well, the Americans after World War II were essentially spent trillions of dollars to rebuild the entire world. Um, and it, I think it was the Marshall Plan, uh, Act to Promote World Peace and General Welfare, National Interest in Foreign Policy in the United States through economic, financial, and other measures necessary to the maintenance, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. But the European Recovery Program, also known as the Marshall Plan. Now, there was other, it wasn't just the Marshall Plan, there was also like lend leasing and all that. But the Americans saw the necessity of having not being just like, yeah, we're king of the hill. No, they were like, Japan's destroyed. Germany's destroyed. And, you know, mostly because we destroyed it. Well, what do we do? Well, we can't just have them stand up and, you know, try and destroy us again, like happened in Versailles. We learned our lesson. So what do we do? Well, let's send them all of our money. <laughs> And they had just spent all their money on war. And then they turn around and spend more money to rebuild these countries. They just be like, what do you need? This? Okay. And it wasn't just countries touched by the war. There was also, you know, money going to some of the neutral countries. Most of the countries in Europe had gotten money from this. Uh, I'm looking here. Uh, Portugal, Britain, Ireland, Iceland, Denmark, Greece, Switzerland, Austria, Turkey, like all these countries had gotten economic recovery and there was Americans pretty much rebuilt Japan and Korea and what did they need to do? No, because they knew the necessity of doing it again. Now see our forgiveness episode as to why, you know, you need to not have another Versailles where everyone gets angry at you. You need to realize that they weren't fighting the people. They were fighting the bad decisions being made, which is, what allowed us to have you know this relative peace that we've had since then but it's uh, the 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 damage would still had we not had hitler not been so zealous uh or taken power and um had uh the japanese not fallen into imperialism although that had been a long gradual fall um with a lot of stupid mistakes uh look at the confrontation between the navy and the air force not the navy the navy and the army in japan um then we wouldn't then we would have there wouldn't have just we wouldn't have had to rebuild them the people would have still been there and we would have been able to live with those people and have their knowledge but they're gone the the property is gone they the, the, the had to the, the cultural heritage of the Germans and the Japanese was halved at least. How many manuscripts did we lose? How many poems did we lose? How many songs did we lose? How many poets did we lose? How many books aren't written? How many books were erased? This is it, it, we're essentially committing to burning the Library of Alexandria every time we go to war. And it's like trying to fix a catastrophe by causing another catastrophe. 
Like, well, that's what Versailles it, was. <laughs> it absolutely makes no sense, um, except in very, very rare circumstances. Um, no. Like I said before, it comes down to a judgment call and personal preference one way or the other in most cases, because it's not like somebody's just going to walk across a line that invites everybody to attack them. Mm-hmm. What they're going to do is push their boundaries and push their boundaries the same way Russia and China and yeah, India and Pakistan right and now. Iran. Yeah. The same thing every country is doing today. They're pushing their boundaries to see what they can get away with because nobody wants to instigate all out war as a retaliatory action for one committed offense. Mm-hmm. So long as that one offense is only incrementally more egregious than the last. But Remembrance Day should be what helps us stop trying to push that front line. If we could all remember properly and adequately, there should be reason enough for us to not try to get the best deal and just have a a deal that is mutually beneficial, as opposed to, as you were saying, the the mutually exclusive deals where one one side has to benefit from the loss of another side. Mm -hmm. In business, um, synergies work best because they're resilient to change and to shift and to black swan events. They're, they're more sustainable in the long run, and that makes them more profitable overall, even if not in the short term. But they're still profitable in the short term, too, because you have a long-term benefit to look forward to, so long as you look ahead at the same time as you look where you're standing. Uh, if you only look straight down and you only look behind you, you're always going to be missing some crucial information about the actual value of your circumstances at, pre- at present. And Remembrance Day helps us look back so that we can more competently look forward, so that we can act today with a presence of mind that is wise as opposed to rich. Well said. I, Thank you. Uh, this is now the reason I brought this entire thing up and why I wanted to do this. I'm not a soldier. Um, I've never been a soldier. I've never, I, uh, was through the application process becoming one, but I needed a job when I was young and I went blind in a nine and they're like, go away. And so I had to get a real job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyone in the army is gonna laugh at that. I know they will. I tell that one every once in a while. Um, <laughs> um, it only gets laughs from army people. <laughs> All right, but the thing is, is that I've studied enough history to see what's going on. And if you study history, if you want to study history, be prepared to be triggered hard every day. Um, if you, it's, it's not pleasant what we used to be like to each other. And there's no guarantee that we won't go back to that. And things like Remembrance Day are one of those things. And that's to me, sitting from the outside, soldiers will finish their Remembrance Day ceremonies and they'll have their drinks. And I'll be sitting there all grave going, this is important. And that's why it's ingrained in me because I need, I want to have kids and I want my kids to have kids and I want them to not go to war. At the same time, I don't think, I think Remembrance Day is one of the least things we can do. Other things we can do. Fire a gun without ear pro. It's not pleasant. Um, think about what it was like last time you got into a fight, maybe. I don't know. But 
either way, I felt it was important enough to do this on this special day. And I guess just like the Canada Day special where I felt it was important to explain why it was important. Again, here, uh, it's important to explain why this is important. And I think that's where we can leave it. Thank you for tuning into our Remembrance Day special. Please, I know this is coming out um, before Remembrance Day happens. Go to your nearest cenotaph uh, or um, your nearest ceremony. A lot of times it'll happen in a stadium. I don't know what it's going to be doing for COVID. Uh, if there's COVID restrictions, don't pay attention to them. Wear a mask and just go anyways. What are they going to do? Arrest you. <laughs> and you can have your own ceremony, um, whether That's or not. terrible advice. <laughs> Why? Ignore COVID restrictions. Just, you mean go outside? No, you're allowed to go outside. Yeah, uh, unless you're in Quebec, I guess, but I don't know. <laughs> you're in, but, but contact your local legions too, not just on Remembrance Day, but support your local legions as much as you can. Um, whether that's just getting some cheap beer and having some food and playing bingo or poker or something, or if it means uh, getting a membership and actually speaking to the, the members and getting involved in the community. Um, it's sort of the least we could do to be as comfortable as we are today. Yeah, and most um, most legions will have a bit of a museum. I know uh, Minto Armory has had a museum. Go check that out. Uh, I think a lot of the bases do too, and a lot of bases allow people on for Remembrance Day. But um, not the big bases, but like you know the armories and stuff in the cities in Canada. But generally, there'll be something at the cenotaph. Fortunately, we live in Canada, so one of the things stopping a lot of us is the weather but thousands of people still do show up uh even here in edmonton and in winnipeg um but take it seriously and yeah lest we forget lest we forget peace